You are listening to the podcast of Grace Bible Church Ann Arbor. We are the rescued people of God joining His Great Restoration Project. More information, including sermons in this series, can be found at graceA2.org. Thanks so much for tuning in. So an intense uh, boardroom meeting runs a little bit long, and a harried businessman leans over to explain to somebody who's sitting next to him, he, he says, I'm going to miss my flight. And they say, well, get out of here. So, so he hurries himself to the airport, and when he arrives at the airport, he looks at the board, and he sees that his particular flight has been canceled. And he goes to the ticket counter, and the, the lady's like, I'm very sorry, sir. We only have a ticket available in first class. And he says, I'll take it. And he hands over his credit card. Next time we see this guy, he has actually gotten on the plane. He's now gotten off. He's outside, standing in the rain, with a whole throng of people trying to get a ride outside of the airport. And there is a a, a chauffeur or somebody there who kind of flags him over, and he goes and he gets in the car. We see him again just a few minutes later at the ATM getting some money. And then finally we see him sliding into his seat at some sort of kid's play next to a woman who's presumably his wife. And he says to her, where is she? And she says, the second potted plant from the left. And she points to the cute little girl sort of dressed like a flower who's scanning the crowd for her father. And when she sees him, she breaks into a big smile. And the narrator says, coming through when you need it most, membership has its privileges. Quick scenes now. A woman takes a plane ticket and gets on a private plane. A man calls and says, I've left my prescription at home. A couple is standing in front of a store window, and the woman says to her husband, oh, honey, it's a real find. And he says, let's go for it. And then we hear that membership has its privileges. These, of course, are part of a marketing campaign by the American Express Credit Card Company. Now, I don't know about you, but occasionally when I watch commercials, I go, what is this actually even for? Have you seen commercials like that? where you actually see the entire commercial and at the end you're still not sure what it is that they're selling? Well, in this case, American Express was selling an idea. An idea that if you pay the fee, if you get their card, if you do the things, then you too can walk around with such confidence and bravado that you can buy a first-class ticket at the last second and not even flutter an eye, that you can uh, buy whatever thing you happen to see in the window to make your spouse, lover, friend, whatever, super happy, that you can make it to the play where you can barely recognize your daughter. That's what they were setting us to see. That if you get an American Express card, you will have certain privileges that come with that membership. Membership has its privileges. So what are you a member of? Timothy Award, Costco, Skull and Dagger, Cloak Society, whatever. Are you a member of something like that? Because it comes with privileges. If you're a member of a health club, it has certain privileges. If you're a member of a country club, certain privileges. If you're a member of a church, so many privileges, I can't even describe them all. (laughs) Today we're back in the book of Romans, and we're going to be talking about membership and the privileges that come with it. If you haven't opened your Bible already, you can do that right now if you would. Page 944, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. 
And we are in this ancient letter that is written by a man that we call the Apostle Paul. Uh, he, he's been explaining to this church what really, really matters in life. And he began his whole letter by saying, listen, the gospel, the message of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, and that he's now resurrected and alive, that is the power of God for salvation. And you need the gospel. Like, not just some of you, not just like one point. All of you need the gospel all the time. That, that's what he says in the first half of this letter. Now, some people slip into believing that maybe they're a good enough person and they make moral decisions that maybe they don't need the gospel. Like, I'm a pretty good person. And generally, we make those decisions by scanning the crowd of the worst people we know. And we say, see, I'm better than that. Other people slip into going, hey, I'm really religious. Maybe I don't need a savior. I just need these practices. I need to show up to church or pray a certain direction or whatever. I need to do certain things. And the Apostle Paul basically says in the first seven or eight chapters or so, it's not good enough. All of us, apart from Jesus, are doomed. Your very best version of yourself is not good enough to approach a perfect God in heaven. That's what he tells us for half of this letter. I mean, it'd be a little bit like if I left church today and I went to the hospital immediately from church after I've talked to dozens of people, maybe a hundred plus people I talked to today, I shake hands with countless people, you know, and I just walk and I go to the hospital and I walk into the operating room and I just step to the table and start operating on someone. You go, look, Ty, you're wearing a nice shirt, I guess. But you are not clean enough to step to that situation and expect that you're not going to bring some problem, some sort of death with you. You're wearing essentially germs and death. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, we are all carrying in ourselves death and we desperately need Jesus. But that, that's the good news because God made a way for us to be justified just as if we never sinned, just as if we've always obeyed. God's made it possible for us to be brand new people, people of the Spirit. And this reality has privileges. Membership has privileges. Well, here's, here's what he says, starting in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. So a couple of things that, that Paul says here are similar to the benefits of justification that he mentioned in chapter 5. But, but he kind of, I, I, look, I, I know that we preached on that a couple months ago, but that's like a lifetime ago. And some of you weren't here and maybe you didn't catch all that. Plus, I don't know if you realize this, but the month of January this year took about four years, okay? <laughs> so that is a long, long time ago that we talked about any of this kind of stuff. And since he comes back to it, we are going to come back to it. And essentially our theme is that membership has its privileges. Or better yet, sonship, sonship has its privileges. So today we're going to talk about sonship and its privileges. So let's start with the sonship part. 
Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If you're led by the Spirit of God, you are a son of God, it says. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, it doesn't say everyone is a son of God. It doesn't say every human being who's ever lived is a son of God. That's not what, what it says. It says if you're led by the Spirit, then you are a son of God. Now, there's some of us who feel like, well, I'm not led by anything. I'm just me. Don't tread on me like I'm, a, I'm an independent person who makes my own decisions and makes my own way and has my own vision and will achieve my destiny. You're wrong. We're all led by something or someone, whether it's our, our appetites or our addictions or our culture or our friends or our finances or our temperament. We are all being led by someone or something. And if we're not led by the Spirit of God, then we will be led by someone worse to someplace worse. If you're not led by the Spirit of God, you are being led by somebody worse than the Spirit of God to someplace much worse than where he's taking you. And when he says, all who are led by the Spirit, he's referring to those of us for whom the Holy Spirit has stirred our spiritually dead hearts to new life, And we've come to understand that Jesus lived perfectly, died sacrificially to pay the debt of our sin, and then by God's Spirit, raised Jesus to life. When we come to understand that and receive that, we have new life and the Holy Spirit leading us. Now, this is an imperfect illustration, so don't take this too far, but I find out every so often that I am part of a very select group of people who have been chosen to be given a credit card. I mean, I must be pretty special because these things show up fairly regularly in the mail and it says that I've been selected to be like part of this, like, this elite club of people that get a credit card. Now, I feel less special because I have some sons that are approaching the age of adulthood and they're also getting these credit card things in the mail. But when those things show up, I don't just automatically, it's not like they show up and I'm like, oh, I'm rich. Look at all this power and this money that I have. No, no. There are certain terms and conditions. There are things that I have to agree to in order to get the privileges associated with the card. Some of us have been showing up to church for a long, long time. And over and over again, it's been like, it's about Jesus. You need Jesus. And you're like, cool, do I get the privileges just by showing up? No. No, you don't. You have to be led by the Spirit. You have to have agreed to the terms and conditions, so to speak, that the Spirit of God has actually stirred your heart to new life. That has to happen. And when that happens, when you're led by the Spirit, then you are a son of God. When he stirs you up to know who this Jesus is on some level and what he's done for you, then you become a son of God. Now, let's get Bible nerdy for just a moment because it's been a while since we've had a Bible nerd moment of the day. There was a season of GBC's history where we even had a theme song that went with it. We tried it once. Two of you laughed. We didn't try it again. So (laughs) no theme song today. But there are certain translations which will translate this word where it says those of us who are led by the Spirit are children of God. God rather than sons of God. There are some translations that translate it that way, to which I say boo, NIV, boo, NLT, NASB. You guys are fine at translating other stuff. You missed it 
here. Because the word isn't children. The word is sons. Now, the word children does appear in these verses later, but this particular verse here says, you are sons. In verse 15, it says that you are adopted as sons. Why sons and why adoption? Don't you know you're in Ann Arbor? I do, in fact. <laughs> so why does it say sons? Well, in ancient Rome, Typically, in the first century, if there was a wealthy landowner and he did not have any children, or perhaps he only had daughters and he didn't want to give them his vast estate, he would go find someone else that he could adopt who would then inherit his estate. And he could go, and this, this happened on occasion, he could find somebody who was a slave, essentially, buy them out of their slavery, pay whatever debt they had, bring them into his home, adopt them, give them his name, his home, his inheritance, and they would become, in that moment, his sons. And the Apostle Paul wants us to know that the good news is that a human being, all human beings were slaves, being led by someone worse to someplace worse. We're all slaves. Even if you are leading you, you're worse than the Holy Spirit. I hope that's not news to you today. <laughs> but you're going to lead yourself someplace bad. And he says, look, you're all slaves. And you do not deserve and you cannot earn to have a wealthy father come down and go, I'll take you. I'll take you. I'll, ta I'll buy you out of your debt. I will bring you into my home. And I will make you a son. But what about the ladies? Don't worry, ladies. You're also a son. If you're going, wait, wait I, don't, I don't understand. What do you mean? Well, in that world, a daughter was not the same value and worth as a son in some ways. She was not given the same inheritance necessarily. So instead of this being bad news that he's just very like man-centered. No, no. This is actually good news. What he's saying is, if you are a woman or a man, if you're in Christ, you are treated like a son, a firstborn, full-inheriting son in the first century. There are no second-class citizens in God's economy. Even women, who at that time would have gone, even me? Yeah, even you are just as much of a son as the men. So good news. You have been made Sons. So why does the NIV translate it that way? As children? Well, it's probably the same reason that occasionally you'll hear me say, hey, sons and daughters are children, because we don't always have time to explain all that I just explained. And it's also legitimate to call people children rather than just sons. So they made that choice, which wasn't very good. But no, that's it. <laughs> so the good news is that you, if you are in Christ, led by his spirit, are a son. Black, white, male, female, you're a son. So then, what are the privileges of sonship? Because you said sonship has its privileges. Well, I'm glad you asked, which brings us to the privileges of sonship. A son, first and foremost, has courage. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. One of the privileges of sonship is courage. Those that have entrusted their lives to Jesus are no longer living in a spirit of slavery and fear. Have you ever noticed in the book of Acts, which is the very earliest church, uh, where they're just sort of growing and things are happening, every time they pray, they basically pray for the same thing. God, make us bolder to do your work. They never say, God, rescue us. Make us more comfortable. 
Like, like, God, just, I just don't want any problems. I just want to go along and get along. That's not how they pray. If you read in Acts, every time they pray, they're just like, give me courage to do whatever it is that you've set before me. They were so full of the Spirit of God that they actually believed that God was with them, would protect them, and emboldening them for the job that was ahead. If you are a son, you are to be bold. Do you ooze boldness and courage? Or do you ooze fear and anxiety? Now, to be fair, some of us tend to have a disposition towards anxiety. Like, like it's, it's like we were nervous since birth. And, I, and I'm not saying that as a joke, like for real. Like I actually read a, a study recently about mice that they would put in this like wide open non-maze. It was just like a wide, well-lit box. And the bold mice would go scurry around looking for stuff. And, and the anxious mice would like hide out in a corner. And then what they did was they took a bunch of anxious mice and then they bred them together generation after generation. And what they found is pretty soon all of the children of the anxious mice were very anxious. That they had actually in some way passed on a degree, a temperament of like fear and anxiety. And I read that and I thought, wow, mice are so gross. <laughs> but also... But also, it's possible that some of us just have a disposition leaning in that way. And so I'm not saying, hey, we should all be the same kind of bold. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, are you somebody who's consistently seeking God for more boldness and asking him to make you bolder? If you're really an anxious person, great. Be a really prayerful person, too. If you're a really bold person, great. You should also be a really prayerful person. So... so are we or aren't we bold by the Spirit of God? For some of us, maybe it's that we don't trust the character of God. We're not sure how good of a God he really is. Last week, we had uh, two young people get baptized, which was awesome, They're very, which was great because I got up and I said something about, hey, like, um, you know, they're kids, and yet look at how bold they are. And then I had a bunch of people reach out about being baptized, and some of you thought about it and didn't, so feel free. You can reach out this week, and we'll get you on the list for being baptized. But the young woman who was sharing her story said that there was a time where she wasn't sure how good God was. She was afraid of God, but she wasn't sure that she could run to him. So afraid, like, do I run away? And eventually she realized, oh, this God loves me. And when you realize that God loves you, you start to run to him rather than just running away from him. Some of us struggle with fear because we aren't sure about the power of God. We don't really know if he can do what he says he can do, if he's actually bigger, if he's actually sovereign, if he's actually in control. We aren't sure that our dad can beat up your dad. Guess what? Our dad can beat up their dad. Our, our God is so powerful. So I, I grew up in this neighborhood where I remember there was a man who lived not far from us who occasionally would lose his ever-loving mind at his children. And we all heard it because he would just be screaming at them at the top of Some of you may have grown up in a home like that, but he would just go off. And I remember being like, I'm so glad I don't live there. And I'm also so glad that if that guy ever comes near me, my dad's going to get him. <laughs> like, like that my dad is actually a good and strong dad. You and I, if we are led by the Spirit of God, serve 
the almighty, all-good, all-wise, all-powerful, completely sovereign Father who is not biting his nails. So you and I have the privilege of walking with a degree of boldness. That's one of our sonship privileges. What, what else are our privileges? Well, a son has courage. A son also has intimacy. They have intimacy with their father. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Kradzon is the word here. It's a, like kind of a, it's an onomatopoeia of sorts, right? Kradzon. It sounds, it sounds like, a, um, like a crow or something. It's supposed to. That you and I, as sons of God, get to cry out and say, Abba, Dad, Father. We get to say, you know, like, like come close to me. Before kids have the language of flattery, their very first words tend to be something like, Baba, Dada, Mama, something like that, right? You've heard this? Uh, when you have a name like Ty, which is very, fairly simple, you can claim that all the infants around you, that that's their first word. So it's pretty nice. But, but for the most part, it's usually like a Baba, Dada type thing. Now, here's what, what's cool about babies' first words. They don't know how to trick people yet, really. It's not like Dada, iPad. Mama, keys to the car. When they're saying dada or mama and they're directing it at a person, what do they want? Their dada or their mama. They're not asking for their dad or mama to get them something else. They are literally asking for the presence of their parent. Like they want their touch. They want their gaze. They want the smell. They, they want their embrace. They want their, their presence. Through faith, our prayers are primarily that of children to a perfect father who's just asking for more of him. We're not saying, I'm making wishes to a genie. I'm a good employee asking my boss for a raise. We're not even simply servants to a king. We are servants to a king. But more than that, our posture as sons is one that knows we can have intimacy with our heavenly father. That when we ask for him, he says, of course, and gives us himself. Pastor, author Tim Keller, uh, who passed away about a year ago, he said this once, and, and I loved it. He said, when my sons, he has three sons, huh? Cool pastors, three sons, that's right. He said, uh, when my sons are happy and succeeding in school and behaving properly, getting along with one another famously and listening to their mother, I feel like their dad. But when my sons are upset, hurting, misbehaving, fighting, truly struggling with something in those moments, I feel even more like their dad. I'm more dialed in, more attentive, more aware, more present, and moving towards them in their hurt. He went on to say, listen, if they were my employees, they would be fired by now. <laughs> and all, every parent says, amen, right? But they're not. They're my sons. And sons have an intimacy with their father. That's one of the privileges of sonship. Courage, intimacy, Third, a son has assurance, assurance 
Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. One of the privileges of sonship is that in some way the Spirit of God speaks truth to our hearts that we are sons of God. Like he he confirms that. I'm not saying every human on earth. Again, remember, we're talking about those led by the Spirit. But for those of us who know Jesus, we have the Spirit of God who speaks a type of confidence into us that we are, in fact, his people. That, That we are saved. Not because of anything we've done, because of how good he is. The Spirit of God speaks that to us. Now, there are times when some of us, although we are in fact sons of God and saved, we don't feel that way. Like, we don't always feel this assurance. In fact, some of you today who have known Jesus your whole life and you absolutely are a son of God are nervous about whether or not you're a son of God. Some of you should be nervous about whether you're a son of God, but some of you are not nervous. You should be, and some, some are, and, and you are sons of God. And yet the reason why you're afraid is because there's, well, maybe you messed up yesterday. <laughs> like generally, if we did some really foolish, terrible, shameful thing, and we kicked the cat, and we looked at porn, and we were rude to somebody, whatever, some of us are like, ah, oh, I'm so grieved over my sin. I almost wonder if I'm a son of God. Listen. If you are grieved over your sin, that's generally speaking a pretty good sign (laughs) that you're a son of God. If there's part of you that's crushed by your own foolishness, good. Now, I'm not saying you should walk around with guilt and shame, all navel-gazing, whatever. That's not what I'm saying. But if you've just done something where God was like, no, and you're like, I don't even care, and you did it, and then you're feeling crushed by it, Feel good. Feel crushed by it. Just like let it hurt a little. That's okay. But that doesn't mean you're not a son of God. In fact, that being crushed feeling means you are very much a child of God who did something very, very stupid. And I heard it described like this. Religion says, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. The gospel says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. Don't you like that? I messed up. I need see because the Spirit is actually going to speak into you when you run to your Father, and He's going to go, "Yeah, you messed up. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. But I didn't save you because of how good you are or how good you were going to be. I saved you because of how good Jesus is." And so He's going to speak that assurance to you and to your spirit. It's one of the privileges of sonship that He speaks this assurance to us. I was reminded of a story that Larry Osborne, who's a pastor in California, that I've uh, been able to hang out with a bit, that he t- he tells. And he said there was a a guy who, as a young man, was very rebellious, and uh, he kind of left his home and just was trying to live his life, whatever. And as part of that, he uh, was drunk driving one night, and he got arrested. And so he called his father from, from his jail cell, and his dad showed up, and the young man broke down into tears over how far his life had spiraled out of control and his dad said something to him that, that I have never forgotten since Larry first told me. He said, son, I've never loved you more than I do right now. And you've never needed me more than you do right now. See, the assurance of the Spirit is God loves you. He's never loved you more than right now. You've also really, really need him. Never more, maybe, than right at this very minute. 
And if there's a voice in your head that is saying, God doesn't love me and he won't be here for me, that's not a voice from God. That's not a voice from God. That's a spirit not of love and life and creation. That's a spirit of death. So if you are a son, let the spirit speak the truth into your heart. And some of you, you're struggling with this, and so you need someone like me or a friend to tell you, you're a son. Let the Spirit speak that over you. There's a story told of a young boy whose house caught on fire, and he was awakened in the middle of the night to the terror of the smoke and the fire alarms and the shouts that there was danger. And unsure of what to do, he, he kind of clutched his blankets to his chest in fear, and then like kind of out of nowhere, it felt like his dad rushed in the room, scooped him up, and ran him out of the burning house. Well, sometimes later, uh, when the boy was sleeping, he had a terrible nightmare that he was still in a burning house. And so he woke up screaming for his father in the middle of the night, and his father burst into the room and scooped him up. Only this time, the father did not rush him out of the house. Why? Well, because the house wasn't on fire anymore. He had been saved already. And so he just said, rest, son. You're safe with me. Let the Holy Spirit speak some assurance to you today. If you are in Christ, you've already been saved. The house is not on fire anymore. He is there and he's with you. That's one of the privileges of sonship. We have courage, we have intimacy, we have assurance. We also have an inheritance. Apparently, if we suffer, which isn't my favorite part of the verse, but this is what it says. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Let's just end the verse there, shall we? (laughs) Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If children, then heirs. If you've placed your faith in Jesus... The Holy Spirit is leading you to mortify your sin like we talked about, to know God as your father. You are his child and you have an incredible inheritance that will never spoil, fade, or perish. But then there's this part about suffering. And next week, we'll talk all about suffering. I'm sure we'll be bursting. Everybody wants to talk about suffering. So we'll dive into that next week. But as kind of a precursor, I was reading this uh, a sermon by... Uh, a guy by the name of John Piper, some of you may have heard of. And he had written a, a biography on John Newton, who is the author of Amazing Grace and uh, counselor to William Wilberforce, etc. But he, at one point in his life, had been a slave trader, but God kind of broke his heart in half and made him just this truly gracious, loving man. And this is John Newton's illustration. He said, suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large estate, And his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we should think him if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out during the remaining mile. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. We would. We would think he was a fool. He's going to inherit a million dollars, and he has to walk the last mile. Oh, so sad. My carriage is broken. We would say, you're a fool. You've lost touch with reality. And John Piper said, I laugh when I read that because that is me every single day. (laughs) My carriage is broken. I got to keep going this extra mile. You're inheriting a bazillion everything. (laughs) 
Well, what do you really inherit? Well, we'll also get to that next week. But you are inheriting a lot. So much so that whatever we are dealing with, whatever kind of suffering, we know that there's this grand inheritance that is only there for those of us who are no longer slaves, but are sons. And sonship has privileges. If you are a son, then let us not think or live as slaves. Set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Mortify your sin. Be bold. Jesus has done the work. Let's not think like a slave or be spoiled like a brat. Let us be sons of the Most High. If you are a son, you have tremendous privileges. If you're not a son, you can become one today. It's, it's really quite simple. It's just saying Jesus is Lord. I have been a slave to my appetites, my self-discipline, my ideas, a slave to everyone but you, God, and I cannot save myself. Only you are good enough, strong enough to pay the penalty of my sin. So forgive me, teach me to walk in your ways. That's it. You just allow the Holy Spirit to stir your heart to faith, and all of these privileges are yours. A few months ago, I was, um, was at a funeral, and a young man was there, and he, he shared about his adopted father at the funeral. And as he described his relationship with his dad, all, all the kids did, and it was incredibly beautiful stuff. But there's one thing that this young man who'd been adopted that he said that I found really, really, really poignant in that moment. What he said was that... In essence, as soon as the man who would someday become his father officially, as soon as that man met this young man, that that man just knew, I love him. He's my son. And so from the very beginning, that man, long before any of the legal paperwork was done, that man started talking like, acting like, spending time like that young man was his son long before anybody else would say, oh, it's officially an adoption. And what the young man said as he stood here was, it took me a while. It took me a while to keep receiving incredibly consistent care and love over time. It took me a while to recognize my father's love and to call him dad. Dad knew first. Our father loves us first. That's what love is. It's not that we love God but that God loves us first. And he does, in fact, make it legal through the work of Christ. But he has been calling to some of us, you can be my son. And we just need to go, oh, yes, Dad. Sonship has incredible privileges. Let's not walk out of here like slaves or spoiled brats or like people who don't know that we can be sons because today you can. So let's pray. Father, I know over the course of this day as a lot of people are gathered together in this place and we're looking at your word, trying to understand what it is that you're saying to us about ourselves and about you, that there are any number of situations and stories present in this room that can make it challenging for people to just sort of surrender. Maybe they had a dad like the one I described, not, not the good one, but the bad one 
a cruel father who didn't seem to love them no matter what. And so it's hard for them to imagine you as being much better, and yet you loved us so much you sent Jesus. So today, as we have this moment to just sit quietly, for those who are not yet a son but would like to be, would they just, would they just acknowledge in this moment, Jesus, you are Lord, I am not. I've been leading myself or I've been led in all the wrong directions. I need to turn from that and turn to you. It is only your work, your resurrection, that I can trust for my salvation. God, for those that have prayed that way, give them the courage to then let someone know, either with an orange card or the person that they came with, so that they could begin walking in these privileges that we know can be ours. Father, I thank you for the sons that you've gathered here today. I pray that we'd honor you in this time of communion together. Praise in Jesus' name.